everyone, and welcome back to Educate Me, a podcast where we share stories of surviving and thriving in graduate school. I'm your host, Britt, and we're back after a fairly lengthy hiatus. Uh, I moved, I started a new job, I lost pieces of my microphone boom, but we're back and we're all set up. So, a few weeks ago, actually, I chatted with Jacob Lamb, a PhD student in engineering at the University of Calgary. We chat about life as an international student, being a student volunteer, and the pros and cons, mostly pros, of being in a long-term relationship while in grad school. All right, well, hi, Jacob. Welcome to the podcast. Can you go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure, Brett. Uh, yeah. Uh, my name's Jacob. I'm a PhD student at the University of Calgary in the Civil Engineering Department. Uh, I study uh, Transportation Engineering as a, as a specialty. I'm in my third year, which is kind of ridiculous to say. Um, and if people can't tell what my accent yet, I'm actually originally from Scotland. So that's where I did my, my master's and my bachelor's degree. It's funny you say saying just third year uh, PhD is ridiculous because just wait till you get to fourth year. And now I find myself saying like fourth and final and hopefully final year. And it's like, I should really just stop. <laughs> I feel like years don't matter after third year. <laughs> uh, so yeah. tell me, tell me more about like, what are you doing specifically within transportation? Yeah. So specifically within uh, transportation engineering, um, I'm, I'm in a, a program that's sponsored by NSERC. Uh, it's called a CREATE program, and the specific title of this is the Integrated Infrastructure for Sustainable Cities. And the subtitle to that is Directing Disrupt Disruption. And the disruption technology I'm looking at are drones and sidewalk robots, any sort of autonomous vehicles for delivery of goods and services. So two years ago when I, I started the project, that was kind of like a fringe idea. Uh, but right now, certainly with the pandemic, everybody really wants their, you know, their skip the dishes or their Amazon packages or their local goods from their favorite local shop to be delivered by a drones that no one touched it. Uh, so it's gone from uh, high fantasy two years ago to something that everybody is talking a lot about. That's pretty cool. It must be pretty exciting to see like people caring about the implications of your research. Yeah, yeah, it, it is really interesting. It's interesting to see, um, like I spent a lot of time on LinkedIn, actually, that's kind of where I try to keep the pulse on industry. Uh, so, so following researchers or following industry leaders uh, and such. Um, and they're, they're sharing news articles about drones and taking it seriously. Um, the same with like government organizations or even um, government leaders and politicians talking about it as, as a solution. So it, it is quite interesting and it's always an interesting one to talk with about friends. And, and that's kind of why I got into transportation engineering as well, because I, I, doing a civil degree, I was originally doing a structures minor. Uh, but then when I got into transportation and I did those courses in my third and fourth year, uh, I found that everyone cares about their commute and it's a really interesting topic that everyone can talk about. It really, really impacts people's daily lives. Whereas if you talk to people about structural engineering, they're just like, so you're an architect? Or like, yeah, steel beams are cool. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> the conversation kind of ends there. Yeah. Um, whereas with transportation, like people immediately get riled up. They either love the bus or their commute or their electric car, or they 
really hates the traffic or construction and all the other things. So it has a really big impact in society. So it's a, it, it, it's, I'm glad that I picked a thesis topic that has achieved one of those things I kind of set out when I was picking transportation as a specialty. Yeah, that's, that's exciting. I find the same thing too with like feedback. I talk about feedback and people are like, oh, well, like, what about this? Or have you thought about this? Or what do you know about this? My favorite grad students are always like, what do you know about rubrics? <laughs> yeah. um, and it, so what made you come to the University of Calgary for your PhD? Yeah, that's a, an interesting story. Um, that I, I, I first came along during my undergraduate from Scotland. Uh, Calgary was one of several choices for like an exchange. But I'd always known I wanted to do an exchange you know, year abroad in my undergrad. Um, and Calgary was kind of always on the radar um, because we've got family, family friends over here. Mm. Uh, so then getting closer and when I, I pulled the trick and then did come across, you know, I found that I really loved the, the culture here like, and sports and university was really, really good. It's, um, it's bigger than the one I, I was back home, about four or five times bigger. So that meant there were kind of more specialties. So yeah, yeah. I kind of got my first taste of transportation engineering by, by being here in Calgary. So that kind of opened up and, and the approach to research here in Calgary, I'd certainly say in probably Canada from my experience since, is a lot more welcoming than I found it to be in Scotland. Um, I, I remember sitting in classes in my like second year of university when they were first getting us to write uh, reports. And as an engineer, I was like hating this idea of writing reports. And I was like cursing to myself, I'll never do, I'll never do a thesis, but I hate my thesis. It's going to be terrible. And here I am actually doing a PhD now. So uh, I attribute that to, to Calgary. And so yeah, I spent a year here, uh, well, the, the two semesters, and I padded out the summers either side. Uh, so I came here early. Uh, I did, I was a camp counsellor for, for two months uh, in Camp Chief Hector in, in Kamaskas. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, which is really nice. Um, and then I kind of saved up enough money by working part-time during my two semesters here. I actually worked at the den. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I saved up enough money to then go traveling in the summer afterwards. So I, I spent about a total of 15 months, you know, which was really good, about double the time that most people spend during two semesters. Yeah. Uh, so I made really good connections with the professors here. So I was very quickly accepted to come back to, to do my PhD. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's, uh, I feel like a lot of international students, yeah, end up working uh, on campus in the den or things like that, because you can just work more on campus uh, in a lot of cases, so. Yeah, absolutely. The, the study permit allows you to work on campus. Yeah. Things. And it is a good way to get to know people. Like, I mean, as you know, hanging out in like the last defense lounge, like you see, like senior admin would come through there and like, there's like any given day I'd be in there and I'd be like, oh, so-and-so is here from this admin office. Oh, and those, uh, there's so-and-so. So it's also a good way to kind of yeah. get to know those people. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with that. Um, and that idea of having kind of a wider network is, is mm -hmm. almost a reason I went and tried to get a job on, on campus was to broaden my, my network of people that I knew. And I, I'm still very good friends with all my colleagues from, from the job. Oh, nice. So it was a very deliberate choice. It, it, it had many good benefits to it, you know, kind of which most people think is money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it gave me a bit more structure to my, my year away, gave me that money to go 
and travel and then gave me that group of friends. Mm -hmm. You know, many and many people when they do their exchanges, they just stay with international students or even other international people from for graduate studies. They just stay within an international community, which which is fine. Um, but I really wanted to kind of break out of that little sphere that it's very easy to just get stuck into and make connections with local Calgarians. And the best way to do that was working. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think it's like, I mean, they talk a lot about at the university or in a lot of places about one of the benefits of internationalization is this internationalizing at home and that international students bring to our domestic students a wealth of experience and knowledge and kind of cultural exchange that can happen. But it's frustrating for domestic students when international students don't want to engage with domestic students or or there's a whole bunch of programming that's just for international students. And uh, like I know our International Students Services Center chart like really does support our international students, but it seems like it's always segregated. And and to me that that doesn't seem like beneficial, as beneficial as it could be, or as immersive in the culture as it could be. Yeah, that's that's definitely right. I I think the international student office they do, I agree, they do a fantastic job. They were so helpful for me when I was over here for the first time. I've since volunteered with them to, to you know, give back to that community. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I do remember, like, very distinctly, like, one trip we did, uh, which was, like, a snowshoeing in, in Canmore or something, and it was great, you know, they, they arranged a bus, and all these international students get on to the bus and get going. But the only domestic people there were the orientation leaders. Mm-hmm. So it did feel like just like a tourist bus. You know, I was like, oh, it, and of course that's because it's labeled as ISSO. Um, but it, if it could, if they could do more collaborations, that would be, that would be better. And we are just sitting here kind of like telling other people how to do their jobs. But, <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's, uh, you know, and, and until that does change, I'm sure they will. Um, it's, it's up to individuals to, to, you know, broaden their own networks. Yeah. And that, that means I domestic students going to the international things themselves and doing the volunteering or the international students trying to mix with the domestic things. As well. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's also sharing experiences to help people do their jobs better, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> but actually like we, yeah. we even had like this really cool program and I can't remember what it's called now, but basically you sign up and you say, I want to learn language A and I can teach language B. Oh, yes. And I signed up and went to the orientation. And yeah, it's like all international students. And I mean, a few like PR Mm -hmm. students and things like that, but very few with English as a first language and very few even wanting to learn English. They all want to learn something else, Um, Mm -hmm. which I also thought was fascinating. So I think like, I don't know, I feel like our domestic students, even more than our international students, stick to themselves and find and like they've already got their network so they already have their friends here and they just kind of stick to that yeah it's it's that their plate is already kind of full yeah my experience as an international student um, i've actually done a a couple of exchanges i i spent one semester in dubai actually as well during undergrad so so i did two undergraduate exchanges oh yeah (laughs) um so so both of those experiences what, what i felt when i first moved was that your plate is empty, right? Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You, you arrive and you're looking for things to do, and there's a there's a there's a worry with that sometimes with international students that they'll end up having nothing to do, and then 
and they get really bored and then you know that then they get really lonely and that, there are so many issues with that so a lot of effort has gone towards even making any connections right yeah but i think the is does a, does a great job of, of that as well as the international housing on the university it, pretty much all of aurora hall is international students oh yeah that was the same that when when i was there that's kind of what it felt like was that they did really good jobs of having these uh, events and don't get me wrong there were other like domestic there were domestic students in this hall as well the only people who would go to them were the people who had the time and those were mm. international students were looking for things right um, that that was tough and that's where i think also international students end up doing so much for the gsa i think there's a big disproportionate representation of international students in all levels of graduate student associations and organizations because they're they're looking for something to do with their time yeah i think i think that's really true and i think yeah because a lot of domestic students particularly if you're already from if you're from alberta you're from like the local area you've got like your mm -hmm. family commitments and that's one thing like i really felt coming back to calgary to do my graduate studies and i mean i love my family but i uh, being the babysitter and being like having family obligations and things like that. And not that we get together a lot, but it went from like living away and you have none mm -hmm. to being home and you're, you have one at least once a month. And I mean, pre COVID I, I babysat probably at least once a month, um, yeah. if not more. So yeah, like it, it's really interesting. I think that's so true. It's that when we're looking to fill our plate. So I don't know. And then I, we're also encouraged to have like a, a wide variety of experience. And I think, like looking at my CV as well, when I was looking at things, it was like, oh, all of my experiences on campus. But I think mm -hmm. you're, it's because I had that almost like, I wasn't, I'm a domestic student, but coming from away, like moving back to Canada yeah. for graduate school, my plate was empty. You're exactly right. Like I didn't have, um, I didn't have community obligations or I wasn't already volunteering in other places. And so I was looking for, mm -hmm. for ways to fill my time. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like a reverse culture shock you had. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think there's there's something else as well as the um, the work side of things that grad, uh, sorry, domestic students can, can have. They can also have part-time jobs, much more likely to have that, um, as well as the family commitments, that, such as you're saying. But I found also like sports commitments or other sorts of like volunteering group commitments mm -hmm. uh, are much more for domestic students. And that's another thing I did was I, I went and sought out uh, sports teams. So for my undergraduates, I actually joined the Dinos rowing team. Mm. And that gave me access to another, you know, instant network of friends who I think were all domestic. Yeah, I think I was the only international student. Um, and it was utterly fantastic. It was such a great experience. I got to see so much more of Canada than I would have otherwise. So I, I went to Victoria in the training camp, went to Burnaby on a competition and just, yeah, I, I, again, I'm still friends with these people because they're wow. domestic, they didn't fly yeah, home yeah. again, you know, um, and it gave me more reasons to stay and it gave me more, more solid permanent connections here um, than otherwise. And I, I think that that's something domestic students do much more is, is um, yes, sports. And then the other one that I got got into when I came back from my graduate studies was uh, karate. Mm -hmm. um, and it was then funny that I, I met, yeah, some, some domestic student people. Um, I ended up not continuing that because 
my plate filled up with other things and ended up dropping off and I just didn't want to engage so much with it. So I only had one semester. However, I ended up meeting a professor who was a co-PI in my program because oh. she was in that class. So I ended up developing a relationship with a professor through this sports program who then I later met through a professional network. And I was like, oh, oh this is really funny. interesting. So that's another way to kind of like, I guess, get these connections outside of just, you know, pure, fewer programmer academics. And, and uh, who, my, my granddad, who was involved with university communities, um, he's always told me that sports is such a giant part of our universities. And it's how a lot of professionals connect. And um, maybe not so much now in COVID, but <laughs> like the university has, you know, massive squash courts. And, and that's a great sort of activity to, to connect with. And the stereotype type is golf. Well, there's so many other sorts of sports that you can connect with your professional peers over. Yeah, it, it's true. I mean, I would say, like, I wasn't really involved in sports much in undergrad. But then, yeah, when I came back to grad school, I ended up getting involved in, in dragon boating. And that was really good because then I had friends, like, outside of university. And to me, yeah. like, that's also really important that you, like, I don't know if you've ever felt this, but in like the bubble of the university, like everyone has a PhD and everyone's smarter than you. And it's not that like, I feel like I'm smarter than my friends, but it's like, it's more that just like, that doesn't matter. Like we're, we don't talk about our jobs really. We don't talk about um, the work stress, mostly just because we're paddling too hard and we can't talk anyway. Um, <laughs> but even when like when we're connecting before and after, like it's much more connecting on a human level than like everything just feels stripped away because you're not meeting in the the confines of the university and it's like oh well who are you like where, what's your level like um yeah sometimes where do you sit in this hierarchy yeah like how how are is adding you to my network gonna help me is often mm. the way things feel um and especially like, you may have started to get this too where it's like definitely around the university and I I mean I love helping people I love supporting people and mentoring um but getting the reputation of like oh just ask for it she'll know <laughs> And it's like, great. Like I, I love being in the know. I really love being in the know, but not, not like people not wanting to befriend me for the sake of befriending me, but yeah. just talking to me so that they can get ahead or, um, and I mean, that's probably not the actual intention, but when people are just connected with you because you know something, not because you're a good or nice person, but because mm -hmm. you know things it's, it's just weird. And so things outside of the university like sports and whatnot you're able to to just like completely let go of that persona in a sense yeah yeah exactly you're you're removed from that competitive side it i, I think you've talked about this previously on the podcast for this idea that uh if you're either writing in a group or you're doing scholarship applications if you're doing it with your peers in your department there's always a little bit of sense of competition yeah, yeah. It's almost impossible to get rid of. Like you can be the nicest group and like most altruistic and kind-hearted people. And you can know deep to your core that they only have your best interests in heart. And it's impossible to get rid of, right? That like you just you just need a different group of people. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And even like it's uh, it's terrible because I feel like it's so ingrained and when I'm doing scholarships and things, I'm always like, share your applications, get lots of people to read mm -hmm. it. And then others are like, well, no, someone's going to steal my idea or they're afraid to like give good ideas to other people or even like things like how to structure an application. And it's so hard. And I find 
like I didn't feel that competitive in that sense with my peers. It was like, well, there's a lot of awards out there. Like we'll all get something. And luckily like my, I would say my two closest PhD mates, um, they also both got sharks. And so um, Mm -hmm. one the same year as me and one just the year after. And so like, we're able to let that go. But then I find myself being like internally feeling this jealousy when like, they're they're moving forward on like their research like they're publishing more Mm -hmm. than me or they are um presenting more than me or they're involved in different ways that i'm not and i have to remind myself i'm like well that's not what i want to do anyway or yeah and then ironically i was the first one to get a job so (laughs) so now i feel really bad for feeling this way oh my but definitely yeah. that sense of like, oh, like they're going to finish before me and like, ah, oh, like I got to speed up. Like we started at the same time. We should be finishing at the same time. Like all that sort of stuff. Uh, and it, it's hard not to, to feel that way, I think. And so it's like, it's really yeah. hard. Like academically, I'm not really a competitive person. I'm competitive in other ways, but academically, not so much. I'm more competitive with myself. And then, mm. and then obviously maybe I am a little bit because like you feel this twinge of jealousy and then, and all that. So yeah it's really hard yeah it's it's a it's a balance and yeah it's it's also like an unwinnable balance that's there's always going to be that sort of conflict and swinging back and forth between these things oh yeah and where I you're sim- sim- no sorry go ahead yeah where you where you're simultaneously feeling that oh they're better than me and feeling guilty for not doing more work but also simultaneously feeling that you know, you are somehow better than them and feeling guilty that they are looking at you that, oh, look at this person, they're doing so well, they think they're the best. I'm like, how how are both things true at the same time? They're not true. Neither of them are true. Neither of them are true, like, but they feel true at the same time, right? Yeah. yeah. It's, and and they, they give you this, like, one-two punch sometimes. Yeah, it's so yeah, true. So, and I, yeah, I think, like, sometimes I can be motivating in the sense of, like, like, I think comparison can be really motivating when you see, oh, like they're more dedicated. Like they are literally spending more time writing than I am. No wonder they're Mm -hmm. seeing success. Okay. So I need to hunker down and I need to devote that time to that thing. Mm -hmm. But so like competition can be really good in that sense, but then there's other times when it's, it's debilitating. It's just like, Oh, I'll never get to that because I'm not X or Y. And so I think that's when I, when competition can be really negative, but I think, I think in a lot of ways, like we could kind of embrace that competition a bit. Yeah, I'm thinking about the analogy of, of like going to the gym and everyone's always intimidated by, you know, the muscly guys at the gym. Yeah. But it's, it's the kind of trope that's been out there now is that that are actually the nicest people because they're like really dedicated to this hobby that like the reason they're they're like that is because they're passionate about it and they enjoy it and they've got so much wealth of knowledge to share. Yeah. You know what? They really want to share it with novices. Um, yeah, and, and that they also probably feel that they're looking at there are other people who they think are better than them, but there's always a, there's always a bigger fish. <laughs> oh yeah. I remember <laughs> it, like, yeah, from a young age. Small. Yeah, exactly. Like from a young age, I, I, I have a feeling it was my mom, but someone like said, Oh, there's always going to be someone better than you. So just like, don't mm-hmm. even worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't even worry about it. Yeah. But I, I, I want to kind of go back to the idea of the, the, the groups that this doesn't even matter. Right, you yeah. know those friends groups that it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. That you either get through work or through sports or through volunteering at something that probably maybe isn't a graduate student association. You know, maybe you volunteer with the scouts or with the guides or 
with your community association or with a local drama club or, or recycling group or, or whatever. Um, yeah, I think that's, I think that is really super important just to get your head out of that space and put things in context again <laughs> and have things that aren't, you know, graduate student and aren't work on, on your like list of priorities in your life. Because yeah. um, also, I know I just said, get those other things, but it does help your actual bad, bad life. And again, tying it back to the, the reason I like my topic is because it affects everybody. Mm. And I'm not going to actually be able to give my knowledge and transfer my knowledge and be a good educator if I can't you know, explain it in layman's terms. Yeah. So talking about your research to those people, because it always, it does come up with, you know, the first things people talk about, is they say, hi, my name's Matt and I'm a software engineer. What do you do? And they say, oh, okay. You know, it's your name and what you do for a living. So it always comes up anyway, no matter what. It's true. It's really true. And uh, I had a conversation, I feel like back like early episode about like, how do we also frame ourselves as, as grad students and, and getting out of this mindset, like we were reading um, uh, with a, a group from the graduate college, we were reading the professors in like all about kind of finding this academic job and, and how to get to this mindset of being a grad student. And so how do you frame what you do as not, oh, I'm just a grad student, but I'm a, I'm a researcher or I do research and engineering uh, versus I'm just a PhD student. I think that's interesting too. But then I think too, like back to what you were saying, having, having friends outside or even just doing things outside of academia mm -hmm. is important because it also puts into perspective what's important. Cause I think a lot of times we get so focused on, well, like I'm no, I'm no good yet because I don't have my PhD yet <laughs> and I, I haven't published all the things yet. And now oh, I've only taught one course or I haven't taught anything or I've only TA'd or I've only this. And we're always striving to be like, be bigger and be better because that's who we're surrounded by. And then I was at a friend's birthday party and it was like, yeah, what do you do? And I was like, oh, I'm a PhD student. And literally a friend's mom was like, well, what's a PhD? And I was like, oh yeah, like this does not matter in that sense of like, <laughs> in the grand scheme of things, um, like what kind of degree you have doesn't, doesn't matter. It's about like what kind of person you are or, or how do you make a difference in the world? Not, not whether you have a PhD or not. So that yeah. being said, I will make everyone call me doctor. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. You, you just, you just need to make the, uh, the automatic letters you get in the mail or spam emails, you know, the drop down menus on the forums. Oh, definitely. Uh, that's the one, that's the one that you really care about. Definitely. Well, and, and particularly because I, I, I mean, I've been married for quite a while now, but I do not like being called Mrs. Like that feels very old mm. to me. Maybe when we have kids like that'll change and I, I won't mind being called Mrs but it's, it's seems so old and old fashioned. And then Ms is like trying to get people to call you Ms is hard for whatever mm. reason. Like it's not the default. It should be the default, but it's not. And then, um, yeah. So like just doctor, it's like Mrs. Or miss. Oh no, doctor actually. Yeah. <laughs> with the snap, with the finger snap. Yeah. Just yeah. so it's clear. Yeah. It's clear. Yeah. So for you in grad school, like what would you say has been like the biggest challenge that you've had to overcome? Ooh. Um, I, I, I've been quite fortunate in my, in my grad student career so far. Uh, yeah, with, with, a, with a supervisor that's 
very well experienced and uh, in, in supervising and is, is very understanding of the ebbs and flows that research can have and the stochastic nature of it, that's how we'd say it. Um, and my, my topic has been interesting and I was also very lucky that it was kind of given to me. I know a lot of people search for a topic for literally years. Uh, whereas I was kind of pre-given a topic that was of interest to me, that it just so happened to be interest. I was given two, I was like, yeah, either got to be electric buses or drones, pick one. And I'm like, drones sound awesome, I'll do that, right? Um, and that just, that cut through so much of the haze. So mm. uh, maybe I'd say it's like, a, maybe a piece of advice is then, your supervisors have great ideas of topics, ask them, don't get lost. <laughs> don't get Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I, I think more just like, like life, random life challenges or like trying to, mm. to, to juggle this with other things. Um, because well, when I, I, I also have an ulterior motive from having come to Canada as well, because I, I met a, I met a very lovely lady when I came over first time. Yeah. Who was a, a, a primary motivation for coming over the second time that my supervisor thought was hilarious in our first meeting. And he <laughs> loves telling people now. He loves telling people the story, you know, when, when Jacob first comes into his office, you know, and he's thinking, oh, this guy's come across to Canada again for me because he enjoyed working with me so much before. And it's for a woman. <laughs> <laughs> and he loves saying that he is the second. Yeah, I'm like, no, it's okay. I can have two reasons. Oh, that's hilarious. Anyway, so so that that then yeah, having a having a partner in your life, and then having to manage both of your um, successes in life. Um, mm -hmm. That's that's been the challenge of. Well, first we're living together in the city, which was really fun. Um, but then she had challenges of her work being out of the city and her so her studies still continuing. Um, and then she applied for a master's degree. So then she was then moving and doing her own things and her own success. But then that meant I, I then had to change my own living conditions. Um, so I'm now living with her parents. So now because of COVID, it's actually worked out quite well because we're now all living together in a multi-generational family, which is awesome. Um, and yeah, if we look into the research, that's how it should be. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, so like, which is like would have put totally been different um, if I'd been if I'd been single. Mm. And I'm I'm saying it probably would be it would be different. Like let's let's say it would be different. Right? Yeah, um, I because I don't, I don't want yeah. to say worse for the single people out there, but I don't want. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, no, I totally hear what you're saying because I think, I mean, we've gone through this where it's like, okay, we came back to Canada for like my research and, or for my, mm. my schooling. And then now like, actually like a big reason we're moving out to BC is so that my partner can have more options for, for what he wants to do for work. And, um, and so yeah, balancing those two is really hard. And yeah. you can't, I mean, I think for a bit, we were just like following one person's dream and then maybe another and then kind of switching back and forth, but then neither person feels fulfilled. So yeah. to, to balance the dreams and, and visions of, of both people together. And, and I think because you, 
inevitably in a re- relationship, you have your dreams for yourself and your partner has their mm-hmm. dreams for themselves. And then you have your dreams for each other and what you, you see in the other person and, and the successes you wish for them. And then you mm-hmm. have where you see your relationship going and where you see like that family going. And that might be the same vision or the di- or a different vision. And so, I mean, I'll say I often think it might not be easier if I was single, but I know it, like life wouldn't be as fulfilling. So like that a, that's a great one. Easier. It would be easier. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but it, easier doesn't mean better. Exactly. Um, yeah. And it's life wouldn't be as rich and life wouldn't be as fulfilling and, and those mm. sorts of things. So yeah, sometimes I also look at the people who are able to like, they just are able to work longer hours. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're more successful or happier or any of that either. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, exactly. It's uh, it's part of the growing up part of uh, having a partner and everything. Um, yeah. The experience of life. It, it is. It's uh, It just requires a lot of communication and like forward planning, like thinking more than one year in the future, thinking three or five, you know? Certainly more than six months. <laughs> yeah, I'm really Which not good at that. Like, I'm very much like a one year at a time person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm fortunate that my tendency is the long term planning. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's lucky. Mine is not at all. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, like time has passed and there's things we should have done five years ago that now are difficult to do. So. Yeah, but you see, then you find the partner that complements that because. If I was left to my own devices, I don't know, the fridge would go empty in a week because that's that's a short-term decision and short-term decisions are not important. <laughs> so, uh, yes, short-term, medium-term, long-term, all important decisions. Yeah, yeah, and finding finding that balance, yeah, that's so true. And I think, I mean, I think it's an even harder for those with, with children and everything in, in a PhD, like I can't imagine. Like I, I'm part of a couple of writing groups on Facebook and I see women who are like, well, I've got three kids and, and a dog and this. And I was just like, how are you doing this? How are yeah. you doing your PhD? Like, why are you doing a PhD? I get why. Um, <laughs> I do get why. But the how, I'm just like, I have, I have no idea how you're making this work. So I yeah. think, uh, I think. Yeah, it's an important consideration. And I think too, when people are considering graduate school, like to really think about, does it fit with your plan as a family? And it's really easy to think, and I'm probably guilty of this, just being like, no, this is what I want to do. And so I'm going to do it because I'm an empowered woman and (laughs) no one can tell me what I can and can't do. Um, But that can be really dangerous for relationships. Yeah, for for either gender, for sure. Yeah. Um, the, The dog one is interesting. Because that that is kind of what being one of the things that yeah, I, I definitely had to then take over the responsibility of Maddie's dog, oh. <laughs> and that impacted how I had to do my scheduling for for my life for a while. Um, yeah, even the small things that end up having quite a big impact because they have these cascading effects. Yeah, um, and she was doing her grad work in the states for a while, right? Yeah, she was accepted into. Uh, St. John's University in Queens, Queens, New York. Um, so it was very exciting, big city life and all that. Um, and she'd been recommended there through her kind of undergraduate thesis and kind of capstone project that she'd done. Uh, so she's studying an also very relevant topic that has become more relevant in recent years, uh, homeland security and criminal justice. 
Ah. So we have really interesting conversations joining, you know, jumping from, you know, technology, the drones are coming to get us to Black Lives Matter movements. Yeah. Um, That's really interesting. But what, like, what was it like when, so yeah, she went down there for, I, I guess she's back in Calgary right now. Yeah. Or you guys are near you, but she's back yeah, right yeah, now. She's, she's back. Um, but what was that like, like kind of managing that long distance? So not only are, are you in a relationship doing your graduate work, but you're trying to manage it as a, as a long distance relationship. Yeah. Um, I think it would have been, it would definitely would be more difficult this last year if we hadn't already been long distance when I was in Scotland for my masters. Mm. So as I said, we met in 2016 to 17. Um, and we spent almost 18 months apart for, for like seven, 18, sorry, 17, 17, 18. Um, and that was a little bit less stressful because, you know, I, I, I said I was doing my master's, but in Scotland it's a little bit different. I was, was taking a lot more courses and my yeah. thesis was just like a course equivalent thing. Yeah. Um, and then I was working for a bit. So the pressure was a little less. It was also in my own country. So I had a lot of support networks around me. It was more familiar. So yeah. I was able to learn and adapt how to do a long-term relationship yeah um in a you know in an environment that was quite supportive already i was familiar with so then when when it came up you know we had to talk about this um you know this option for her to go to new york it was like oh okay like are we going to be able to do this and i was reflected like yeah we had this experience and like both you know being able to develop the skills to keep that sort of relationship going in the environments that were supportive now that she'll be moving to an environment that is unfamiliar to her I'll be in an environment that's unfamiliar to me. Yes, we can we can still keep that going. I'm not gonna to have to deal with two problems at once, you know, an unfamiliar environment and an unfamiliar um relationship setting. No, it's yeah. it's only one thing at a time. Um and I think that's that's been a philosophy I've taken for a lot of things in in kind of my I would say just like professional development career. It, it's talking about my decisions from 18 onwards, like from when I left secondary education, just lumping all that, like those decisions of, of being conscious of not taking on too much novelty and like being purposeful with what I'm learning. Like that's, for example, why I took the exchange in Dubai for one month, actually one semester before I came to Canada. I knew I wanted to come to Canada for 15 months. And like, I'm not going to be able to go there for 15 months if I don't test it out first. Mm. So taking kind of those like small steps and having that plan again, this kind of goes to my long-term planning yep, nature. Yeah, um, yeah, and and that's that's how we dealt with with that was that we're already already familiar in one area, so adapting was um, possible. Yeah, it was feasible to do. That's cool. I think. I mean, I want to go back to like your long-term planning. I'm curious because I reflecting, I think I used to be more about the long-term planning. I was like, okay, like kind of a five-year plan or, or I had a five-year plan, particularly it's kind of easy because the PhD has like a, a five-year <laughs> kind of bounds around it. Right. And so that's a lot easier. And then a couple things happened where it was like, mm, this, like, it's not following my plan. This isn't working. And then, uh, I, I mean, COVID hit and it's like, well, plans, what are those? What are, I don't know. What, are plans? what are plans? What is time? Where are we? What month are we? Um, yeah. But then also, 
I've always been one to also just take opportunities as they come. And that taking opportunities as they come has served me better than trying to plan opportunities. And so I'm curious about, like, has your own sense of future planning changed at all in the last six months? Um, yeah. That's, that's really interesting question. I had a, had a discussion about this sort of topic recently with a friend. Um, and yeah, it, it has, it has matured my understanding and outlook on this topic and this long-term planning because it is a bit naive, right? <laughs> Looking at a five-year plan that's made painfully obvious by COVID. Um, but the, the, the quotes that I'm still digesting and learning more, uh, even though I've known it for years, it's, I believe, by Dwight D. Eisenhower that plans are useless, but planning is everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's, that's just, just so true on so many different levels. And I think my most recent understanding of it is how it's combining this idea that you're talking about of like saying yes to many things and opportunities, but it's this plan is how I guide them saying no to things. Mm. So I, I, I literally got my, my plan on a whiteboard right behind my computer right now so I can see it. <laughs> and I have a number of categories and it, I just imagine it like a little power meter in like a video game or like a little water meter where it's like you set these meters that you want to get and they can be at different amounts, you know, so you have, it could be hours, it could be kind of like achievements on your CV, it can be whatever. And it's like, okay, I want to get kind of like, these are the ratios I want of these things. You know, like this thing needs to be two times that, or this thing needs to be four times this, or, or these needs to have two big things I can talk about in this, in an interview, basically. And over those, like PhD is a great one to think about, you know, over the five years, I want to be able to get two of these things in, you know, say teaching experiences, right? I want to have really two really good teaching experiences. So it doesn't matter like kind of where they come in the five years. You're not planning exactly what those are going to be. Mm. You know, you're accounting for some you know, randomness and, and opportunities coming. Um, and, and you just like record that and keep track of it. But that also gives you leeway that when you've done, you know, two, then you can go, okay, I've got enough. My previous test self told me that that was kind of enough. And then you can look at the other things. Oh, maybe I've, I'm weak in the thesis. I wanted to publish two papers or say four papers over the course of those five years. So then you can start to redirect your efforts in that, in that way. Because you also don't want to do things that are easy. That's the temptation is always mm-hmm. doing things that are easy rather than things that are best or needed. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's kind of my most up-to-date understanding of it is, is trying to combine this, uh, this tendency to say yes to everything and being the mm-hmm. yes man uh, with, with the long-term planning. You know, that's, that's kind of how we feed off each other. Yeah, I like that. Kind of a, you've got kind of your long-term goals and then along mm-hmm. those goals, you can then measure up different opportunities. And it's, is, that, is that opportunity going to help me get to whatever goal that is? And I have to say, I was doing that mm-hmm. a lot this summer in terms of what like research opportunities I said yes or no to, or what um, kind of like assistantship opportunities, because I knew I had this goal. I want to be an educational developer. And, and I had thought about for a few years, toyed around with like, well, professor, because everyone told me I should be a professor. Mm-hmm. And, 
And like I had a, my former dean was like, you need to be a professor. And my supervisor, well, aside from being prime minister of Canada, you like prepare yourself like you could do, like this is the kind of job that I, I think you'd be really good at. And while like she's very supportive and, and open to me doing other things, it was like, okay, well, other people think I could be a professor. I think like I like the three things kind of that are in the world of the professor, but there's a lot of things I don't like in like the lack of work like like work life balance and the, <laughs> and the publishing stuff that no one reads and those sorts of things mm-hmm. I don't like. And then like this educational development stuff, I really liked it for reasons where it's a job with a bit more bounds. It's a job where you take your research and you are actually sharing it with people who can use it and those Mm -hmm. sorts of things. So I was aligning more my, my, what I took on in like the spring and summer in terms of, okay, that's the job I want to direct to. And then, and like, clearly that worked (laughs) very well. Um, And, and then it was right time, right place in terms of an opportunity coming around that, that fit with what I was looking for. But I think you're really, I think you're onto something there in terms of thinking, okay, in the next few years, like this is the experience I want to cultivate, or these are the goals that mm-hmm. I, I want to accomplish. And then what will align with those things? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's, that's very true. Yeah. I think you touched on a point there about, so, so it's how I would say it is knowing what those goals are in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, when you start mm-hmm. off, you know, you were saying you were using, you know, your trusted peers and mentors kind of give you advice on those goals because how else do you try to set those goals to start with yeah yeah and and that leads into this idea that you need to kind of like both trust yourself and your reflections on yourself as well as like external stimulus and of course these plans should never be static like i personally review them every three months um and then every year for bigger plans um but they, they should never be static right and they should be updating based on, you know, based on the feedback you're getting from society as well as yourself of like, oh, did I enjoy doing these things? Like, what does that tell me about Mm -hmm, mm me? Because sometimes the easy thing to do is, because it is just easy, you know, it's not actually going to get you somewhere. Sometimes it's easy because you enjoy it and it's actually kind of telling you something and you should listen to that. And that's a very, very difficult thing to parse and separate. Yeah. Um, and it's why it requires like so much reflection. Like, does it actually align with what you know about yourself over a long period of time, not just like a snapshot, kind of a longitudinal study of yourself rather than just a snapshot? And I'll I'll bring up. Um, it's it's not exactly embarrassing, but like it's almost a little bit. Uh, it's these self-help books and studies or whatever things like seven habits of highly effective people or strength oh yeah 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 these sort of things like i i I was so against these when i got first turned on to them when i was doing my internship at 18 like everyone is and they definitely need to be taken with rocks of salt and you know collective practice but i've been shocked at how accurate particularly the strength finder one clifton Mm -hmm. yeah and the like top Mm -hmm. five ones um because yeah when i was 18 i took this i was like oh this is like interesting but like okay whatever and my top my top strength is a learner and at the time when i was doing an internship yeah and i had research was never on the agenda and i couldn't really connect that and it's just funny to see how i've drifted towards research and this has come out more and more and more and i'm like oh oh yeah that's that makes sense um 
yeah, so you don't, people don't have to take these specific studies at all. You can only, whether you like the INTF, whatever that would be, like mm -hmm. the Myers Briggs, or there, there's so many different types that people can personally connect with. But um, yeah, they're, they're interesting. Just add into this narrative, this library of like your personal reflection. Yeah, I, I love those. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as a teenage girl, like in all our teenage girl magazines, they're like these like little personality quizzes and stuff. But I do, I do really like them. And I think I first did the, I did Myers Briggs, I think when I was 16 for the first time. And then I also did like the um, strengths inventory and um, strong interest inventory uh, of like, what are you, what are your interests? And then how do those interests align to different jobs? Um okay. And that one's also really interesting. And then I, I redid it. I did the first one when I was 16 and I redid it again when I was 30. And uh, it was interesting because on both um, speech language pathologists showed up on both and teachers showed up on both. And then the one I did later uh, when I was 30, uh, a university administrator showed up. All right. <laughs> it's like, oh, really? Oh, that's, that's strange. Um, but yeah, I think they're really interesting in terms of like, I don't know. Yeah. Learning about yourself. And I think, I think that's so important. And I think that's not strange as like being in a, someone in a PhD program, being interested in learning about themselves as well. Yeah, that is, that's a good, good point. There's, there's a lot of crossover here, self-selection bias. Yeah. And, yeah. I, I think this can also be done by just, you know, those trusted peers and family that, you know, you go talk to your parents and they'll probably be able to tell you those five strengths off the top of their head anyway <laughs> you know no $50 book needed yeah I don't know I don't know if I want to know <clears throat> some of what my what my parents think of me but that, that, that is the risk <laughs> that's why I'm you pay sure. the 50 bucks because the, the, the book is not so judgmental <laughs> yeah like I'm sure there's lots of positives but I'm sure there's also like and here's some things you could work on but um, but I think, uh, maybe we'll wrap it up there. So thanks so much for, for taking the time to chat. I really enjoyed our chat today sure. and, uh, yeah, all, all the best as we finish up. I'm sure we will see each other soon. Um, if not on campus, at least somewhere online. So mm -hmm. thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. Yeah. Thanks Brett. All right. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Educate Me. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podcast Addict, or wherever you listen to podcasts. A huge thank you to our audio producer, Sean Paris. Join us again next week for more stories of surviving and thriving in graduate school. Until then, stay in school.